0: listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. talking about a, a, a book man I'm telling you what judges how many of y'all are just like thank you Jesus it is like getting close to Christmas and we're leaving judges yeah. anybody <laughs> some of y'all are like I'm I, that book is great it's, it's 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 good but like it is dark and it's negative and it's like I'm ready for some happy Jesus is coming stuff okay yeah. Uh, it's coming today don't worry don't worry we got to go through the darkness to get there but we're gonna get there because today is we're gonna have fun um we're gonna have lots of fun um uh, <laughs> But when David asked me to preach, you know, we were we were. It was kind of, I'm toward the end of the book, and like, and then he, he finally said, "Hey, why don't you just sort of like summarize the whole thing and and just kind of let's look at why why judges is important." So that's really that's really uh, like the title to this message. The subtitle is "Why Judges is Important." But like uh, the title is "But I'm but I'm a good person, right?" And we're gonna see today. In, in these two case studies, because this is what happens in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is not laid out like a, like a regular narrative or like the poetry or anything like that. It, it sort of has these two introductions at the beginning, and then we have the story about the judges, and then like the last five chapters of the book are this, these two case studies of just how bad the people were. So I'm like, great, Dave, you give me these two, okay? Like, you give me this to, to preach on, like, like, this just shows you how bad. And this is, listen, the reason why we need judges, the reason why judges are in the Bible is to show us just how good God is through how bad we are, Right? So, I mean, like, that, that, that title to the message, so, I mean, I just kept going over and over, but I'm a good person, right? See, here's the thing that I want you to see. If you don't get anything outside of the message this morning, I want you to get this. Okay, you're not a good person. Don't matter how good you are. Because the, the people here at the end of the, I'm going to go ahead and jump to the end, and then we'll come back. The, 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 the people in, in the book of Judges, that's what they're at. They're, they're watching things happen to them, and they're like, but we're good people, Right? We're good, right? Like, we're, we're God's people. We're good. And you see time and time again in these five chapters where it's just like, man, you're not, you're not as good as you thought you were. And, and sometimes, and, and if we're not careful, uh, you know, David's kind of warned us about this a couple of times in this series. Like, if we're not careful, we'll read the book of Judges, and we'll look at it, and we'll go, yeah, we're better than they are. Like, we're not that bad, Okay like I'm here to tell you this morning I'm sorry he gave it to me to do okay you are <laughs> you're bad okay like I and some of y'all are going to be like wait a minute I can't believe this like we showed up this morning to hear about Jesus and we didn't hear want to hear the assistant pastor have to tell us that we're bad people but I'm just being honest okay you're bad people okay like none of us are good right that's what the bible preaches the bible teaches us that none of us are good so like when people have like Rejections to, like, I don't believe the Bible because the book of Judges, okay? Guess what? I mean, you're basically just saying, I don't like the book of Judges and I don't like the Bible. I don't believe it because God put a bunch of bad stuff in there. Well, He put a bad, bunch of bad stuff in there as a mirror to show you you're a bad person. Amen. Guess who you need? Somebody tell me. Jesus. You need Jesus. Thank you. Okay, we can wrap up and go home now. I mean, we got it, right? Some of y'all are like, Amen. Let's, let's, we got family to go see, um, and we're getting ready to give them Jesus, uh, some in a not-so-nice way. But anyway, um, remember, it's Thanksgiving. Y'all got to be nice, okay? Don't lay hands on them, all right? Anyway, uh, but in, 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 what we see in these two chapters is, is really just this, is that we are broken people, right? We're broken people. It's what the whole, this whole series has shown us, that, that we are broken people in need of a Savior. So this morning, we're going to look at just how broken we really are. As we insert ourselves, remember what David told us to do, we're going to insert ourselves into this story this morning. And some of you are like, yay. Some of you have read ahead and you're like, eh. So, but hey, get ready. So buckle up. So we're, we're going to look, we're going to, trust me, it's not all bad because at the end we get Jesus and amen. Um, but we got to go through the bad stuff first. So we're going through the valley of the shadow right now. Um, so open your Bible up to Judges chapter 17 and we're going to dive straight in. And there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, this gets good right quick off the mat. The 1100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it into my ears. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. Man, I'm telling you, it gets gets worse from here, y'all. This is crazy. And this mother said, his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored his money, or excuse me, the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces. Notice it wasn't all 1,100. Okay, she's keeping some for herself. 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith, who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he had an ephod, and he household gods, and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Boy, did they. So let's just stop right here and try to figure out what just happened, okay? Because this is, again, he, the, the author of Judges didn't even give us a warning. He's just like, here we are. here they, There they go. Um, and so we meet this man Micah, right? and he's stolen some money from his mother. Now, 1,100 pieces of silver, we'll find out later in, the, in, this, in just a minute, we'll see, that 10 pieces of silver was a yearly wage. So 1,100 pieces of silver was like a small fortune. Like, your yeah, mama's, like, she won some scratch-offs, okay, and she's put the money aside, and her son has taken the money, and, like, he, we don't know what he's going to do it. We just know he stole money from his mama, and now his mama curses the people that stole it. And, like, back then, like, cursing was, like, it was a big deal, okay? To be cursed was a pretty big deal. And if your mama curses you, you better watch out. So so he hears the curse, and because he's so scared of this curse, it's like, okay, mama, yeah, I took it. I got you. Like, notice how the the author put it there at first. So he doesn't say, yeah, mama, I stole it. He's like, that 1,100 pieces of silver you lost, I have it. Like, it just sort of fell in my lap. Like, I was cleaning one day, and there it was, and I'll give it back to you. Now you See, I mean, oh, these people. Oh. So, so that's where we are. Like, we already can tell this is not going well. And then she gives, she says, I'm going to give it over to the Lord. And you bless the Lord with it. And then we see that, like, she's like, nah, I'm, I'm going to keep nine. Yeah, I did the math right. 900 pieces and just hold on to it. But I'll take 200 and we'll let the Lord bless that. And how do they, <laughs> I love it. How do they give it back to the Lord? They break the second commandment. ain't that great? (laughs) Let's just give it back to the Lord. We'll give it to the silversmith. He'll make an idol, and this will be great. So what does Micah do after he gets this wonderful little idol? He takes it and puts a shrine in his house. Again, we're just going to obliterate the second commandment altogether, and and pretty much half the commandments. We're going to put the idol up in the house. we got our little ephod, their their little apron or whatever. And then he says, you know what? I need a priest. Who better to be my priest than my own son? what in the world is going on here? And so now he's got this thing. He's, he, I mean, he's doing everything that he thinks he needs to do to, sh- to have God show him favor. And then he looks up one day, and let's keep reading because this is it's, it's good. Verse 7. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah of the family, or, uh, the family of Judah who was a Levite. So we got now as a, like a priest, now the, the priest, one of the priests has come into the town. And he sojourned there, and the man departed from the town of Bethlehem and Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he, as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah, lucky him. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem and Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living and the levite went in and the levite was content to dwell with the man and the young man became to him like one of his sons and micah ordained the levite and the young man became his priest and was in the house of micah and then micah said catch this now i know the lord will prosper me because i have a levite as priest so now this levite's just kind of wandering around somewhere he probably shouldn't have been and he comes to this house of Micah, and what does Micah do? He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're a priest? He's like, so where's my son? He's like, i just going to kick my son to the curb. Now, I got a real priest now. He gets this priest, and what like what the priest should have done when Micah asked him, hey, you want to come to me? I'll pay you 10, ten pieces. I'll pay you a yearly wage, give you clothes, give you food. I'll make sure you're, you're nice and taken care of. He, you know the priest should have been like, you know, no, it's not, not what we do here. You know, we, this is not how we do things. No, no. what did the priest do? Sure. Why not? Let's, let's do this. And then he comes in. And so Micah ordains him as the priest. So now Micah has his own priest, which is not good. Okay. Like this is not what the priests were set up to do. Be like personal priest to Micah. Okay. And so now Micah tells him, look, I've got everything I need now, God. You're going to bless me now. So he starts from stealing money from his mother, and he takes the stolen money and ends up with a shrine and his own priest. Come on. Like, can you start to see now, like, like the, they're bad people? Like, it's going to get worse, y'all. I'm sorry. It's going to get worse. But, like, you see the little things, right? You see these little things, and it's like one little thing after another little thing, and it just keeps getting worse. So let's keep going. Oh man, I'm telling you, it's fun stuff. Chapter eighteen. Whew. Promise you, I won't read all the rest of it. But this this story just makes me laugh. Anyway, in those days there was no king in Israel, so we get that. We we pretty much nailed that, right? There's no king; they can do whatever they want, whatever's right in their eyes. And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan. Sorry, Dan. Uh, <laughs> It was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. Okay, stop right there. If you think back to like the first Sunday we had this series, we learned the reason why the people of Dan in this passage are still searching for their inheritance. Because they went to go take on the Amorites, which God gave to them, right? God told them, this is the land you're going to take You need to go there. I've got it set up for you to take care of the Amorites, and that's going to be your inheritance. And the Danites went looking at the Amorites, and they were like, I don't think we want to mess with them, so we're just going to back away and kind of do our own thing. And so instead of obeying God, they decided to take matters in their own hands, and we're just going to kind of wander around and just find wherever we want to go. So even here, had they been obedient to what God had told them to do, there would be no chapter 18 of Judges. Like, everything that happens in this chapter happens because they were disobedient from the beginning. So I want you to catch that, okay? That's why they're wandering around. Verse 2. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of the tribe from Zorah and from Eshtial to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah and lodged there, where while they were at the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of a young Levite and they turned aside to him and said, who brought you here? Who, what are you doing in this place? What, what is your business here? And he said to them, this is how Micah dealt with me. Wait a minute! No, 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 no. Micah like asked him if he wanted to be his priest, and the dude's like, "Yeah, give me some money and some clothes. Yeah, that we'll we'll make this work." Like he makes it sound like Micah like abducted him or something. Like this, no, that's not the way that happened. Hmm. Anyway, where was I? <laughs> this book is so good. It's just so good. Uh, and he said to them, "This is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest." And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Notice what the priest said there. He didn't say God has delivered them into your hand, right? God did that in chapter 1, okay? Basically, the priest comes back to these spies and he goes, Go in peace, which really means good luck. (laughs) Uh, God's watching. It's basic. That's the Dittamore translation. There. It's like that's what he told him. He's like, good luck. God's gonna see you. I mean, he's gonna watch you fall on your face because you didn't do what he told you to do in in the first place. So that's that's where we are. And so so what happens now is, and I we won't read it all, but I'll I'll give you the, the cliff notes of it. We what happens is the spies go back to the Danites. The Danites are like, huh, yeah. Okay, we want to do this, okay? They go into this land. The spies go into the land. Anyway, I got ahead of myself. The spies go into the land. They see the land is, is nice, and, and they can take over these people because they're sort of, they're sort of kind of uh, bunched up. They're kind of like put up right there next to the hill country. And so they, they're like, huh, they, they can't have any defenses, but, you know, we can really take them on pretty easy. So we're going to go back and tell the, the, our, our Danites what's going on, and so they go back to the Danites, and they tell them, and they end up going to, to, through Micah's house again, and they see what's going on, and they get ready to take on, and, and what, what happens, I love this, so now the spies have come, they've told the people of Dan, the people of Dan, the warriors, 600 men, now they come to Micah's house, on their way to take this land at Laish, okay, and they're like, you remember that priest Notice, remember what they said in there? They're like, hey, wait a minute. We recognize that voice. Like, they, the, his dialect was like, wait a minute. You, you, are, you ain't from around here. Like, you, like you shouldn't be here. Like, what, what are you doing here? And then they realize he's a priest, right? And they're like, huh. If the priest is here, and he's the one that's ordained this, he's got these gods and everything, and he's got these idols and whatnot, maybe, maybe we could use them in battle. So the, people, the, the, the Danites basically just walk into Micah's house and look at the priest and go, guess what? You're not the priest of one man anymore. You're going to be the priest of a whole tribe. And the Danite and the Levite priest was like, yes, yes, this is what I want. Yes. Now, I mean, cause you, you see, see here again, I want you to see, this is so subtle, but I want you to see it. Every single player in this story is out for them. Okay. It's just a little bit here and a little bit there. But the priest, the, the, the Levite, he's like, oh, wait a minute. I, can, I cannot be Micah's priest anymore. I'm priest to one man, but now I can, be a, I can have a whole tribe. Think of all the money I can make. I mean, he did, they don't put that in there, but that's what he's thinking. Y'all know that's what he's thinking. Think about how, I mean, they'll, they'll revere me, and I, oh, I cannot wait. So, yeah, he's like, oh, we'll go. And they're like, okay, what about the idols and everything? Can we have those? And he's like, yeah, sure, they're not mine. Just take them. And so he takes them, okay? And then Micah is like, wait a minute, like, that's it. Okay, remember, Micah set all this up so the Lord would bless him. And now he's got people coming in. They've took his priests. They've took his idols. they took everything he has. And they've walked out the door with it. And so Micah shows up, and he's like, uh-uh, no, no, come on. And he goes around town, and he's like, we're going to get our own group of men together. And we get his, he gets his men together, and they, they go surround the 600 men of Dan. And they're like, give me back my idols. Give me back what you took from me. Again, this paraphrase it. Y'all can read it. It's in there. And I, I got to read you this part. This is so good. Mm. <laughs> I love it. Verse 23. And they shouted to the people of Dan who turned around and said to Micah, What is the matter with you that you come with such a company? And he says, Mrs. Micah, you take my gods that I made and the priests and go away. And what have I left? How then do you ask me, what's the matter with me? And the people of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you and you lose your life and the lives of those in your household. Love it. Then the people of Dan went away and Micah saw that they were too strong for him. And he turned and went back to his home. So, you see what happened? And they're like, Dan, he's like, the Danites were like, no, nah, we, we got you, bro. Like, just go on back to the house before we have to hurt you. And so Micah puts his head down, walks back to his house, and the Levite goes with the Danites, and they take over this city. And One of the little little caveats in there that they take is that, like, if you really study and and know, like, where Laosh, Laosh is, is right outside of the boundaries of where God said, this is as far as you can go. So you see, the sin of the Danites has already, has pushed them into wandering, and now it's pushed them completely out of God's will. Like, God said, don't go this far, and they're like, yeah, but there are people unsuspecting, and we can beat them. And so now they make, they make their place in this city, uh, and they, they rename it, but the, the, the author here tells you it's, not, it's still Laish. But the, even the, the best part of this story is yet to come, right here. Verse 29, and they named the city Dan after, after the name Dan, their ancestor, who was born in Israel, but the name of the city was Laish from first. So it stayed, like everybody knew that that was still Laish. Like they, they didn't have any, any control on it. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And now we find out who the priest is. They, they tell us his name. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses. And his sons were priests of the tribe of the Danites until the day of captivity. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was in Shiloh. So now we find out this is Moses' grandson who has decided to go off on his own and do whatever he feels that he needs to do because everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And now here he is, the grandson of Moses, is priest to a people who have not obeyed God, who is right outside of where God told them to be. And the last verse there in verse, verse uh, chapter 18, so they set up Micah's carved image. They set up their idols there, and it says as long as the house of God was in Shiloh. God's right there. It says God was right there. Like there was a place to go worship God, but yet you go steal somebody's idols and take, get Moses' grandson who's doing exactly what he's not supposed to be doing and you go outside of what God called you to do to go sit over here and you think you're going to be prosperous. Doing what was right in their own eyes. Taking whoever they wanted to. You see, it, it doesn't matter. You see how sin worked? You see how the sin there worked? Like, if you allow sin, just think about this for a minute. If you allow sin, the sin of self, because that was what, was, that was what was, got every single one of these players in this story. But if you allow the sin of self to creep in unchecked, it will lull you into destruction. Every single one of these people in this story, every single player from Micah, even Micah's mother, did she discipline Micah at all? No, she gave him some of the money he stole. I'm not going to discipline you, Micah. You're so good, she gave me back my money. No, that wasn't the way you were supposed to handle that situation. That wasn't the way God laid it out to handle disobedient children. No. Spare the rod on that Babylon. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. But ever, every player in this story... Micah, making his son a priest to to the Danites, coming in there and, and just taking whatever they wanted, going wherever they wanted, being completely disobedient. See, every single thing in this story is about me doing what's right in my own eyes. And as I told you before, as we looked at this story, you see, it started out with just a son stealing some money from his mama. And it ended up with a whole tribe of Israel being outside of where God told him to be. Setting up idols, breaking commandments. And if you keep, if you, if you, if you, you read through judges and you read through the history, like you realize like it's not, it doesn't, it never goes well for the Danites. Never goes well for them. But it's that sin of self doing what I want to do. Doing what feels good to me. Because, see, here's the thing. This is the way I, way I worded it that way. Because what we do as Christians sometimes, okay? Remember, I said we're going to put ourselves in this story. What we do as Christians sometimes is, is we're okay to do a little bit, right? Well, that, that, that little bit, like, if I, if I just, like, if I don't tell the government about this on my taxes, it'll be all right. If if I don't, like, like you, you know, you, you find money in a parking lot and you don't return it or whatever, somebody's done that, you know, and it's like, you know, and then you hear a story of somebody finding them, you know, oh, I lost some money and I am needed to pay my bills. Um, and you feel bad, you know, but you don't give it back to them, you keep it. Like just little things, li- just little tiny sins, or 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 you know I got up, got up this morning, I got up late. I'm just having a bad day. I just oh man, just I don't I don't feel like like God. I just I'm just gonna stay out of your word for today. I'm just I'm late. I just don't wanna. I just don't feel like it. So even something is seemingly innocent is that? Because, I mean, we've all done it, right? We wake up in the morning, and we're like, oh, I really need to read my devotion. Or I really need to, to get into Scripture. I really need to, to start my day with a little bit of Jesus. And we're like, I got up a little bit late, and I got a little bit of a headache, and I don't really feel. I'm just going to trudge through it, and I'll get to it before the end of the day. And before long, we go to sleep at night, and we just we've, we've let it go. And ain't it funny how a lot of times we do that? And that little sin of self, that little bit of I'm going to do what I want to do, turns into, man, I haven't opened my Bible in a month. And you look back at your life and you see like, oh, man, I have made, made some choices that weren't the greatest. I was, I was ugly to some people at work the other day. I probably should go apologize to them, ask forgiveness maybe. I don't know. But you see, you see how, it can, how it can just that little bit of sin, that little bit of sin that we look at and go, uh, it's okay because I'm doing it. For, like I, nobody's going to know about it. That's the other one, right? That sin of self that nobody knows about. That sin of self that we have in here this morning, of, of that little sin that we do, that as long as I keep this quiet, as long as nobody knows I do this, everything's going to be okay. Like it's going to be all right. God knows. God knows. And all it takes is just a little bit and it will just lull you into destruction because that's what happens. Remember remember back a few weeks ago, one of the things David, David reminded us about sin. Remember, sin is a slow fade. Sin is one of those things that happens. Once we're so far into it, we turn around and look. And we go, that's where it started. That little, small little thing that we decided to do, that that choice that we made, that's that little thing that happened that caused us to be here where we are. It doesn't take much. It's just a slow fade. Y'all feeling good? Y'all ready to go to the next story? (laughs) It gets better. (laughs) So much better. Chapter 19. I'm just gonna go ahead and give you a warning. This one's ugly. This one, I'll be honest with you, I mean, it's, it's a tough read. I'm not going to lie. There's some things that happen in this story, like I may read it, I may not, but I just want to warn you, it's a tough read. So let's go. And in those days, there was no king in Israel. have to be reminded of that, don't we? And a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And his concubine was unfaithful to him. And she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there some four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. And he had with him his servants and a couple of donkeys. And she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. And his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay. And he remained with him three days. So they ate and they drank and they spent the night there. And on the fourth day, they arose early in the morning and he prepared to go. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread and after that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, Be pleased to spend the night. Let your heart be merry. And when the man arose, Up to go, his father in law pressed him till till he spend the night there again. And on the fifth day he arose early in the morning to depart, and the girl's father said, Strengthen your heart, and wait until the day declines. So they ate, both of them. And when the man and his concubine and his servants rose up to depart, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, now the day is waned towards evening. Please spend the night. Behold, the day draws to its close. Lodge here and let your heart be merry. And tomorrow we shall rise, you shall rise early in the morning and go on your, for your journey and go home. But the man would not spend the night. He rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. He had with him a couple saddled donkeys and his concubine with him. And when they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over. And the servant said to his master, come on, let us turn aside to the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. We're going to stop right there. We'll pick it up in verse 12 in just a minute because there's a lot going on here I want you to see. Notice, number one, we have another Levite priest, okay? It's amazing these two stories, these two case studies of just how bad the people were have to center around the priest. Yeah? There is, like, sin does not care. You can be a pastor. You can be a priest. You can be what? It doesn't matter. Like, understand that. Like, just because David and myself and whoever else gets up, like, whoever's, shepherds of church that doesn't make them invincible okay so if you had that idea of like oh David he's so great you are great David but like I'm not trying to puff you up but you know but like we sin too okay because see sometimes that can happen and I think sometimes in this story like you look at that and you say oh man like these things happen to the priest like it can happen okay she's a little sidebar sorry but you've got a priest and then you've got the other woman Now, the reason I say the other woman is because a concubine was an extramarital marriage, right? So this is like second wife, which I don't know if you remember in Genesis is frowned upon, okay? (laughs) Like God said, one man, one woman, cleave together, leave your father's household, and like you two are it, right? Like that's it. So that's it. I'm not making a joke about how men can't handle more than one woman because we can barely handle the one we have. I wasn't going to do that, but it came out anyway. I'm sorry. (laughs) But there's an extra woman now. So now we've got a concubine. So now he's married, but he has an extra, another woman, okay? That's already going to be bad. Like God's already told him, don't do that, okay? So we already start off with the priest, you know, he's already failed. But now the concubine has committed adultery, Great, bring more people into it. This is exactly what we need. And so she's committed adultery, and she's afraid for her life, and she doesn't like this situation, so she flees to her father's house. And I don't know if you caught it or not in there, but it said in there that the Levite priest waited four months before he went after his concubine. Now, I was doing some sir, I was curious about that because I'm like, why four months? Is there like something about the numbers and now, there were some commentaries that even said like he's just doing that to let everything cool off. Right? But still, if this is the woman that you care about because it said he was going to go speak nice to her or however they put it, it's just, you know, he he wants her back. We don't know the motives on why he wants her back. I can sort of kind of guarantee you why he wants her back, but I'm just not going to go there. You can think those motives for yourself. But anyway, four months, you let her leave for four months and then you decide, ah, how, do you think she really was gonna care much about you? Like if you've let her be there for four months and then you decide to show up? And then you've got the father-in-law here. You see where the father-in-law was excited. Oh, yes, come on in the house. He's not happy he's there okay? He's not really crazy about this son-in-law, I don't think. What he's crazy about is, yes, you're going to take my daughter back so that our household won't be looked upon like we're the bad people in the, in the town, because I've got an adulteress living in my house. That's why he's excited, okay? But then, but then they get there, and he's like, okay, I guess he's a hermit. I don't know. He just doesn't have a lot of people there or whatever. I don't know, but he's just like, stay and be merry and enjoy company, and let's, let's, let's have fun, and he didn't want him to leave, We don't understand why. We just know he doesn't want him to leave. But then he finally leaves, and he leaves late in the day. And we're going to see that choice that the father-in-law made and that choice that the Levite made to stay as long as he did is going to have dire consequences here in just a moment. So let's pick it up, verse 12. Actually, go back to verse 11, sorry. When they were near Jebus... The day was nearly over, and the servant said to his master, Come now, let us set aside, turn aside to the city of the Jebusites and spend the night there. And the master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gibeah. So this city was supposed to be a Canaanite city. Uh, there are foreigners there, and he's like, No, we won't do that. We're going to go on down the road to Gibeah because that's the Benjamites. That's our people. We're going to stay there because we'll be safe. That's his thought process. And he said to the young man, verse 13, Come, and let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night at Gibeah or at Ramah. So they passed on and went away, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, and they turned aside there to go in and spend the night in Gibeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. So now they're in the square, him and his master, his concubine, his donkeys and whatnot. And nobody has come out because, again, he thought this was, okay, these are part of our people, right? This is the tribe of Benjamin. They should come and want us to come into the house and want us to, to, to you know, they, they should welcome us in. This hospitality should be great. And they sit in the square and nothing's happening. Nobody's coming out. I can almost, you know, see it as one of those, you know, like everybody's peering through the blinds like, uh, who's he? You know, I'll come here and look at this. Look, look at this. He's funny looking. You know, something like that. I don't know. my brain, sorry. But, I mean, you know, everybody's sort of peering out the windows and looking. Nobody's coming out to see who it is. And then finally, we see an Ephraimite who was sojourning there. Pick it up, verse 17. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said to him, where are you going? And where do you come from? And he said to him, we are passing from Bethlehem and Judah to the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim. From which I come, I went to Bethlehem and Judah, and I'm going to the house of the Lord. But no one has taken me into his house. We have straw and feed for our donkeys. They had everything they needed, so they didn't need to bother anybody else. With bread and wine for me and my female servant and the young man and with your servants, there's no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace be to you. I will care for your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed, and they washed their feet, and they ate and drank. The the main thing I want you to get from this right here, is what he said to him about the square. Don't stay here, okay. It's just that little bit of warning, you know. Like here's somebody coming out outside. Like he's not from around here, but he sees that something bad's getting ready to happen, and so he tells him, "You don't want to stay in the square. Like I don't care if you've got everything you need. Just come on into my house. I'll take care of you. But just whatever you do, do not stay in the square, because he's getting ready to find out these are not nice people, okay." And as they were making their hearts merry, verse 22, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. And they didn't want to get to know him, if you know what I mean, okay? And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said, no, my brothers, do not act so wickedly since the man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out to you. And we're just going to stop there, and we'll, we'll pick it up in a minute. Because this is where the story just gets tragic. If, you kinda, if, you, if you've read ahead, and if you haven't, go, go read it. Again, it's a tough read, but read it. Because what you're going to see here is you're going to notice in this story, it sounds a lot like a story in Genesis. It sounds a lot like a story in Genesis 19. Sounds a lot like Sodom. And what happens here is that the people, these are supposed to be God's people now. That's the difference of of the story of Sodom and the difference of of Gibeah, okay? Is that Gibeah was God's people. This was the tribe of Benjamin. Like this was one of the 12 tribes. And because of their disobedience back in chapter 1, They set up somewhere, and they got mixed up with the Canaanites. They got mixed up with all the people they shouldn't have been mixed up with, and they let that change who they were. And now these men who were supposed to be God's people should be taking this priest in and showing him hospitality are now wanting to abuse him. And now the priest... Okay, And and the man of the house, instead of trying to defuse the situation or or even just trying to fight them off or whatever it is, there's just too many of them. the, The man of the house says, here, here's my daughter and his concubine. Do whatever you need to do. Remember at the beginning of this story when I told you we're just as bad as they are? Don't look at these stories because this story is bad. This story gets bad and it's, it's just, this is awful, okay? I'm, I'm sorry, but when you read this and, and just think about what's happening, it is awful that somebody could look at another human life and just throw them out as garbage. And you don't think that's what happens in our society today. And I'm not talking about one certain thing. I'm talking, I mean, just think, just think about, just think about what happens in our society today. What is something you hear about all the time? Sex trafficking all the time. People being abducted all the time. Like people just disappearing all the time. I actually watched a video. I stumbled upon it and I'm so glad I did because God used it to to kind of frame the way I thought about this story. It's a video of a group of people and what they do is they go around and they're, they're trying to get people out of the sex slave industry, the sex trafficking industry. And he sits this young lady down and he just asks her constantly over and over, why are you here? Why are you here? Until she breaks down and she finally admits to him, I made a mistake when I was younger and I thought I was going to make a little bit of money. And now if I leave, I'm going to die and they're going to come kill you. That didn't happen 2,000, 3,000, however many years ago this was, okay? This was something that happened, who knows, maybe just a few months ago. Like, our society is just as bad. Like, we, we're just as bad. Like, just the thought of, of this just the, 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 the brazen disregard of human life to just say, hey, just, we're gonna save ourselves. I mean, this is the thing that just, this is what set me over the edge as I'm reading this and just kind of, oh God, I had to ask for forgiveness because I wanted to like jump through time and go beat the priest senseless. Because if you cared enough about her to go after her, why didn't you care enough about her in that moment to step up and at least put up a fight? And it gets worse because what happens next is that after she's gone all night long, the Bible basically tells us he went to bed. He just went on to sleep. Got up the next morning, opened the door, getting ready to leave. It doesn't say that he got ready to get a posse together and go look for her. No, it just says he got up the next morning, get ready to leave. Actually, I'll read it to you because I mean, just so you just, it's in here. Verse 27, and her master rose up in the morning and when he opened the doors of the house, he went out to go his own way. Behold, there was his concubine laying in the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. She was dead. Like, just the thought of that, God, and just to think that this is, again, it's who we are. Like, I know you're sitting there going, Lehi, you don't know me. I'm not that bad. Like, I don't care how bad you are. Bad's bad, right? Sinners are sinners. It doesn't matter. It's, it's bad, okay? And if you're not reading this story and just, just so eat up with rage, like, I'm, I'm going to ask forgiveness now because this, does, this makes me mad to think about. I mean, I think about it in my own life as I'm just reading through this and I'm like, no, like, I'm sorry. But there is a few things in my life that I will fight you tooth and nail for. I am willing to lose my life over a few things. And one of them is my wife. The other one's my kids. And then it's my dogs. The pig, he can go ahead and just whatever. I don't care about the pig. I'm sorry. Sorry, Stacy. She's not here. I can say whatever I want to about pork chop. But that's I mean, listen, I'm sorry. You come at my wife. Mmm. Ooh, I'm telling you. And I may get beat to a pulp, and I may lose my life over it, but I'm gonna go down fighting. I ain't gonna be like this punk priest in this story who just decided, I'm sorry. Sorry. Forgive me, Lord. I know. But then what he does after this, okay? This is this is just a, a gruesome tale. <sighs> and I'm trying to, I've I've been praying about how to tell this story and not just go into it, but here we go. He gets her body, and he takes her back home, and instead of dealing with his own guilt, he takes her body and cuts off part of her limbs and sends them to the rest of Israel. And basically, that is a sign that this has happened to my concubine. We need to have a trial because those people need to stand accountable for what they did. Nowhere in the rest of this story does the priest ever come back and have any kind of remorse for himself. There's no guilt for what he did. There's no guilt for the old man who gave his daughter. I mean, we don't even talk about that. Like, like there, there's now a, a, a house in, 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 the, in, the, in the city of Gibeah where, where a daughter has come home, or so we think, to her father who just said, hey, you know, like, for my sake and, and my priest, I'm just going to let you go out there with the concubine. But now we've got this trial that's happening, and this priest who has no remorse for what, whatever happened. Just, I want vengeance. And that's what happens in chapter 20. And this one incident starts a civil war between God's people. The whole tribe, all 12 of them except the Benjamites, decide they're going to go to war with the Benjamites. And the reason why they're going to go to the war with the Benjamites is because in verse 12, it says, And the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin saying, What evil is this that has taken place among you? Now, therefore, give up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. But the Benjamites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. Then the people of Benjamin came together out of their cities to Gibeah to go to battle against the people of Israel. So instead of just saying, hey, these are the guys that did it, They need to be put to to death. They need to be punished. This is what needs to happen. Instead, the people of Benjamin go, no, those are our brothers. We're going to stand up behind them. Sounds a lot like what happens today, and I'm going to try to stay off this political soapbox, but I may just have to take a step or two on it. Anyway, they put their love of country, of people, above what is right. Y'all don't think that's happening up on Capitol Hill? Y'all don't think that's happening every day? I'm going to tell you what. I said I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it for just a quick second. Apologize, and then I'll jump back off. If you don't like politics, you put some ear... Yeah, uh, anyway. I'm not Democrat, and I'm not Republican, okay? I know. Y'all are like, oh, he's a Christian. Yes, I am. Okay? These people are despicable. I'm sorry, I hate politicians. I just do. I just hate them. If you are a politician in here, I'm sorry. You're probably a good person because you're here. Just say it. But that's what these people do. That's the way they operate. It's for whatever's good for my people and, and whatever's good for my pocket and whatever's good for, for me. And you see what's happened in our world in our country even, is some kind of civil war because what's happening now is some atrocity happens and now we've got people who take it into their own hands or we've got groups that come together and decide they're going to come up with some kind of cockamamie idea that we're going to say somebody's life matters more than yours and, and we're going to fund it, and do, it. It's just, it's, see, I mean, I'm not going into specifics because it happens on both sides of the aisle. It's exactly what happened with the Benjamites. Something bad happened, and instead of calling out what is wrong, instead of calling out this is a sin, it needs to be dealt with. You're like, oh, they're my people. I got to stand up with them. Oh, well, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, church, but it's, 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 I'm sorry. It's time. I don't care if a civil war does break out. There's going to be one side over here that's fighting. There's going to be one side over here that's fighting. And I hope there's enough people in the church that will stand up and fight for the cross. You don't have to say amen, but you can. Uh, (laughs) Because I believe that's where we're headed. I seriously believe that's where we're headed. This same picture that's happening right now in this book of Judges. Sorry. I got more excited than I thought I was going to get over that. (laughs) But they put their love of country over what was right. And then we get chapter 21, who, again, we won't read all of it, But some things happen in chapter 21. They put an army together. They go after the Benjamites. They end up losing the first two battles. They finally, they go to God, and God tells them, look, I'm with you. Go for it. Take them out. He didn't really say that, but that's, again, my translation. And they go against the Benjamites, and they devise a plan that takes care of them. And then we get shades of Jephthah. Y'all remember the story of Jephthah? I made a vow, but I didn't have to make a vow. And oh, well, now I've got to own the vow. The same thing happens here with the people of Israel. It says in in chapter 1 of verse 20, or excuse me, chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, they made a vow. No one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God and they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and they said, oh God, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? They were worried now after they made the vow that they were gonna be one tribe short. They, they, started, they, they repented a little bit. They had a little bit of, of remorse now and they're like, wait a minute, we made this vow not realizing that we basically just wiped out a whole tribe. In anger, in anger over this atrocity that happened to the, to the Levite, we made this vow that now we're not going to, we're, we're, I mean, basically what they said is, sorry, this tribe that was supposed to be God's people, we can't give them wives, so that means they're going to have to intermarry, and that means if they don't intermarry, they're just going to be wiped out for good. See, they made a, 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 a vow that now they realize they've got to own up to. That was vow number one. And then vow number two is in verse eight. And they said, which one, of their, which one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come to the Lord at Mizpah? They basically had a, a vow that said, whoever doesn't show up to help us fight, well, we're going to put them to death. And they, I guess they thought when they made that vow that that would scare them, the rest of the tribes into showing up, but one tribe decided to stay home and test them on it. So now, if you're keeping score with the Israelites, they've made a vow that the Benjamites, we can't give them our, our wives into marriage to keep them you know, pure and God's people. And a tribe over here that didn't show up to fight, is now got to be put to death. What do we do now? So somebody in this glorious assembly said, wait a minute. If we take this group we're going to put to death and kill all of them but enough wives to give the Benjamites, then we can make this work. And that's what they did. So now you've got more people dying because of a vow that they made and here's the crazy part they go and and take care of these people but they find out out of the 600 men of benjamin that are left there's only 400 eligible women that can be their wives so guess what we got 200 benjamites they ain't got no woman what do we do now they think and they think, and I'm sure it was probably the same wonderful mind that had to come up with this idea, came up with, well, you know what, in that first vow, what we said was, we shall not be able to give them a wife. What if they take one? So now, <laughs> here's what God's people tell the Benjamites to do <laughs> go abduct however many women you need. There's going to be this festival over here. We're going to turn our head and look this way. We can't give you wives, but nothing we said says you can't take them. So now God's people have said, we're going to kill off this group of people. We're going to take these women and make them your, bride, or your brides. And now we've got these 200 guys who don't have ladies. You guys are okay to go abduct whoever you want. So go hide in the bushes. I'm not lying, y'all. Y'all read it. I mean, it's in there, Okay. Hide in the bushes and go find you a wife. What in the world? Like last week, we thought Samson was crazy, right? Y'all, I mean, come on. Samson did some pretty crazy stuff. That story was wild. But this, this is God's people telling God's people to go steal your wife. And here we are at verse 16. This is the end of it. Mm just so that I can show you it's in there. The elders of the congregation said, what shall we do for wives for those that are left since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe not be blotted out from Israel. Move on down to verse 20. And they commanded the people of Benjamin saying, go and lie in ambush in the vineyards. I told you it was there. And watch if the daughters of Sheol come out at the dance to do their dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh, and go to the land of Benjamin. And when your fathers and their brothers came to complain, we'll say to them it gets really good grant them graciously to us, because we did not take for each man of them to be his wife in battle, neither did you give them to be, uh, neither did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. So they guilted these people. So they knew that they were going to come out and be like, wait a minute. You can't take our wives. And they said, well, either you let them have them or we're going to turn this around on you and say you gave them to them. And then we have to put you to death. Verse 25. Because I'm ready to be done with this, aren't you? And in those days, there was no king in Israel. You think? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Thank you, Jesus. We're done with that book. But did you notice in this story, this story was much worse than the first one, right? Yeah, it was pretty bad. This is what happens, okay? This is, this is what I want to teach you from here. This is what God has showed me from this story. Sin, it can lead to a downward spiral of destu- destruction Excuse me, that only leads to more sin. You see, the first point there is it can lull you to sleep. We, we, can, be, we can be lulled to sleep, but then there's sometimes where sin happens and we have to make a decision. And once we make that decision, we think everything's good, we're okay. Because that's what the Israelites did. When, when, they, when they decided and they, they have to, okay, we've got we to we own up to these vows. Notice what happened? You see how many people, got hurt you see how many people lost their lives you see how many who women who they just just had no regard for just said hey just you know i'm sorry but we're going to have you guys abducted and you just got to deal with it you know if you're not careful sin will take you down a, down a downward spiral and before you know it you're in this place where you can't do anything else but sin because you're trying to dig out of it. And the only thing you know to do is keep sinning. You get addicted to it. You get so caught up in it that that you don't know where to turn and you don't know how to get out of it because you've got to answer. You you make these decisions and you've got to answer for that decision. And the only thing you do is is answer that decision with more sin. You see, if we're not careful, that can happen. You see, sin is such such a nasty thing. It's such a vile thing that happens that it can either put you to sleep or it can just push you over the edge. And then there's that last verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Notice what they don't have. Now, I know you look at that and you say, they don't have a king. Yeah, they don't have a king. But what's so important about that is they didn't have a standard. You see, what happened in this book of Judges was that the law was given to God's people. And the law should have been enough. God laid it out there and said, this right here, don't do it. Okay? honestly believe God did this, and he's like, "We got a a bunch of three-year-olds, because you know how that works. Don't do this. And they look you in the eye, and they just go do it, you know? It's like, come on. And that's basically what happened to God's people here. And so he gives them judges, and we see in judges there's a cycle, and it's a cycle that repeats itself throughout the, the Old Testament. Sin happens. They get called out on it, they repent, they come back to God, sin happens. It just over and over and over. But that last verse shows us, in Judges, there was no standard. They didn't have a standard. It was, let's do what we want to do. And you see where that's gotten us over the last couple thousand years? I don't understand why people keep doing it. While generation after generation after generation, they think, oh, it's okay, we can do whatever we want. Whatever is right for you is okay. And that just keeps happening. What, ha- what keeps happening, excuse me, is wars keep happening, right? Because this one country decides this is right for us. And then this country over here tries to, to call them out on it. And we just get deeper and deeper into this cycle. There's no standard. And we just do whatever we want. So we asked that question there at the beginning. And I, but I'm a good person, right? I hope today I've shown you. You're, you're not good. But thankfully, this is not where the message, is, message ends, okay? That was really heavy, and that was hard for me to preach. I'm not going to lie. Thank you, David. <laughs> but God. Come on now. But God. Right? But God. What happens next in in, in the lives of the Israelites is that they clamor for a king. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they go to Samuel and they're like, they say this. This is, then the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. They kind of got it, but they didn't. And God tells Samuel this, and he says, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, but... For they have rejected, not you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. See, God was supposed to be their king the whole time. And they said, nope, we want kings like those people over there. But God, what did he do? He gave them Saul. Saul was bad. Then he gave him David. David was okay. He got a little better. And then Bathsheba happened. And then it just all went to crap. Okay, I'm sorry. It just all went crazy. But the reason why he did that was to show them they didn't need an earthly king because they had the king. And then we keep going through the Old Testament. The same thing happens over and over and over again. And then what happens? 400 years of silence. And then what happens? We get to celebrate it next week. It's called the Advent. It's called the coming of the Savior. Jesus shows up. We finally get our king. Amen? Amen. There is hope, y'all. There is hope for us because Jesus is here. Because guess what happens? God shows that he's faithful. He is a faithful God. That's what I loved about this series this whole time. We are broken people. Yes, we are. But we serve a faithful God. Amen? We can sit through 45 minutes of just sheer utter nastiness and know at the end of it, God's going to be faithful. You saw how bad his people were? Who cares? God is faithful. God is going to save us, and we know he is. If we repent and we come back to him, he is faithful to save us. Ephesians 2. Says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our own flesh. But God. Come on, y'all. Made y'all endure all that. We're getting ready to preach now. Christmas of Anna may just have to put off their wedding just a little bit. Okay, I feel like I'm ready to preach y'all. Come on. No, no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm kidding. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had for us. Okay. He loved us. Even while we were dead in our trespasses, while we were still sinners, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Woo. Amen. Amen. Come on, band. I'm ready to worship. Y'all ready to worship? Mm. Come on, band. Let's go. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. But God, aren't you glad God is faithful? Amen. Yep. Aren't you glad that in the midst of everything that you, because listen, we could sit out here today and we could confess our sins till the cows come home. And then we could do it all over again tomorrow. And you know what that's going to do? All that's going to do is make us miserable. But you know what we can do? We can confess our sins to God and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we will repent and come back to him because he is a good God who loves us in spite of ourselves and he died on a cross for our sins so that we may have fellowship with him. If that don't get you excited, if that don't get you to realize that's why Judges is in the book, then I can't help you and sorry. But Judges was there for that reason to show us we need a king. And not an earthly king, but we need a savior king. We need Jesus. When you read the atrocities that happen in Judges, they should point you back to Jesus. That's why it's in the book. You see, what's what's amazing about these two stories, and I'm talking about the book of Judges and this other story that's in the, the New Testament, is that God is the same in both. You see, there's a story in the New Testament in the the book of Luke. Luke 15. Where a son decides, you know what? I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to go do my own thing. Daddy, give me what's due to me right now, the inheritance, and I'm going to go just have a good time. I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. And he takes off. And after a little while... He's run through all his money and he's sitting there eating what the pigs eat. It's just nasty when you eat with a pig, okay? They can eat good stuff, but they nasty eaters. He's eating slop with the pigs and he realizes, man, I screwed up. I'm going to try to go home, but daddy's not going to have me like I am. It just ain't going to happen, but I'll just go home and be a servant. I just want to be near my daddy. That's what he's saying. So he decides to take off and go home. And in chapter 20, this is what it tells us. And he arose and came to the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Why? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Listen, that's what's happening in the book of Judges. We get to see the son take off and do his own thing. But what's underneath it the whole time is a God that's standing there waiting on his son to come home. You see, that's what's happening to us this morning. There's some of y'all this morning, I know it, I know it. We got a room, as as big as this is, there's got to be, there's somebody here that you've screwed up. You've made some mistakes. And you may have had a relationship with the Lord and, and you're like, I just, I can't, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready to come back to him yet. That's okay. Sometimes that's okay. But what I want to tell you this morning, whether you've messed up and you're trying to figure out how to come back home or whether you've walked off the land and you realize I've wandered off a little bit, I need to come back. It doesn't matter. When you turn your back and you start heading back toward home, guess who's standing there waiting on you? A good God with his arms wide open, ready to take you in. And the same God, y'all see what I did there? The same God did that for the Israelites when they were as bad as they were in the book of Judges. And all throughout the Old Testament, the same God that did that is the same God that sent his son and his son Jesus spread his arms wide on the cross and, and begs for you to come home. He's begging for you this morning. Whether you've wandered a little bit or whether you've strayed so far, you don't even know where you are. He's saying, come home. And he's not standing there to wait and and tell you how bad you've been or or how nasty you've been or how you should have done this or you should have done that. And he's not standing there waiting to tell you, I told you. So you know what he's doing? Just like in this story, of the prodigal son, he's like, get the fatted calf, boys. We're going to eat. We're going to celebrate because what was dead is now alive again for my son has come back home. this message from God's Word. If you have any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.